Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. The best advice I would ever give to somebody is seek guidance and also uh, seek counsel. I think in whatever role you're in, you should have some sort of mentor. Today I'm talking to Georgina Hines, who is Policy Analyst at the Nuclear Industry Association in London. Georgina is also Secretary of the Next Generation Nuclear Industry Council and a representative of the Nuclear Delivery Group, which is working on a vision for nuclear for the next parliamentary period. And Georgina works with the Nuclear Strategies Skills Group. In her free time, what she's got left of it, Georgina has a flair for languages, studies Mandarin and Norwegian, and she goes to the Blue Dot Festival. She's got links with Science Girl, that's G-R-R-L, a network that are passionate about celebrating women in science and passing on their love of science to the next generation. Georgina, it's lovely to see you. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Andrew. So we were chatting earlier that um, you grew up in Telford, and you went to uh, William Brooks School. Tell us, what what were you like at school uh, uh, and what did you really enjoy? What were your standout moments? What were my standout moments? Oh, I guess I didn't really have any standout moments at school because I was just such a square. I was such a nerd, um, very quiet. Um, You know, I was that kid who had their books laminated and my handwriting was so pretty that my teachers used to have them open at open days. And um, (laughs) I I was definitely the, uh, uh, the model pupil, but I guess that didn't make me particularly interesting <laughs> did, you, did um, you use colors in in your revision timetable and things of like course that? i use colors oh, okay. so many colors i mean i still do it now i've got a bullet journal which i if anybody knows what a bullet journal is it tracks your entire life so it's definitely something i've kept since i was uh, quite young but yeah um so william brooks particularly it's very rural very rural area um not particularly diverse not particularly many people so um yeah when I moved uh, out to uni it was almost like the big city bright lights of uh, Manchester I ended up at yeah, so quite a shock I imagine mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um when you went to university it was neuroscience that you 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 sort of wanted to do so how did that I, I mean that's quite unusual in, in my experience, at least, there's a lot of people who want to do it, of course. But what was it that sort of prompted you to do that? Yeah, so, I mean, as I said, when I was at school, I was quite good at most of my subjects, which was great. But I really, really enjoyed science and maths, um, particularly. So uh, the natural fit, especially when you come from a small area, is you either become a doctor or um, a dentist. And I thought, I don't really want to have... I don't really fancy looking in people's mouths all day. Not that medicine is, you know, particularly more glamorous, but I really, really wanted to be a doctor. And I ended up getting a B in one of my A-levels, actually biology, which I thought was the worst day of my life. Um, (laughs) 
uh, actually it's fine. Um, so I thought, well, I'll do something that I can then transfer onto a medicine course afterwards. And neuroscience was the most interesting thing to me. And I thought, oh, it's only temporary. Um, I'll just do something exciting. Um, what I really enjoyed about neuroscience and Manchester is one of the only unis that does it, it's not a particularly common course, was that, um, and you'll find this with a lot of STEM subjects, is it's constantly evolving and our understanding of the brain, even when I was at university, is completely, completely different now. Um, so I just, I just liked how it was more of the, one of the more fast paced <laughs> uh, biological uh, subjects than, than others. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. And um, before you got to university, you started sort of working in hospitality, you were saying, and that sort of continued all the way through university. But you learned something by doing that, you told me. I did, yeah. So, I mean, I've been working since I was 13. Um, my family are, are very um, driven in terms of hard work. You you don't sort of have opportunities given to you. You have to earn them is sort of the overall theme of my career and life and um, so I started working in hospitality when I was 16 and I did it all the way through university because I, I needed the job um, to fund myself and my my antics um, <laughs> but I actually um, just really learned that I didn't like the general public particularly angry members of the general public and that kind of convinced me that I probably wouldn't make the best doctor um, so I, I kind of decided in my third year to go a completely different different route um, and that took me to going into academia which as a quite social person and I'm quite extroverted um, as most people do know I don't stop talking um, I thought working in a lab every single day just me and a brain or me and cells would would just not be for me it wouldn't be the right fit which is why I, I moved to do a, a science uh, yeah. I moved to do a science communication masters. Yeah, yeah. But what really interested me about that was you were you were you were doing things because you needed to and you you wanted to and you needed funding and all all of those sorts of things. But by stepping out and doing those other things, you kind of learned something about yourself that otherwise you might not have done. So you might have ended up transferring into a medical degree and becoming a doctor and all of a sudden realizing, hang on a minute, I don't like it when people are angry or, or you know, I'm to deal with difficult situations. I definitely learned about conflict resolution early. I have so many horror stories from hospitality. I remember this, the first time I cried at work was, um, it was 9 p.m. on something like, a Sunday. So most restaurants have calmed down, especially ones in the countryside. You don't have a lot of panthers at 9pm. And we'd shut down half of the restaurant, which a lot of restaurants do when they're cleaning up. And I had been in that section and I cleared it all down. This couple walks in. She demands from the off that they go sit in that section, even though I've set it up for the next day. And there are some... Um, you know those sweet peppers with the cream cheese? Mm. So she orders them and she goes, I want them cremated. And I said, okay. So I took them into the, I took them into the kitchen and I said, She's, she said she wants them cremated. To me and you, that means to ashes. Mm. So we like char grilled them a little bit. 
took them out. She has a go at me, says, I said cremated. Why haven't you brought me them cremated? I want them burnt. I want them black. Went back in, came out, burnt all over. They looked absolutely disgusting. And I took them back out and she went, see, was that so hard? And I just thought, oh my God, I'd have to deal with people like this every day. Like people work in hospitality for years and years. I, I honestly don't know how they did it or they do it. It's really Not for me. <laughs> no, I don't think that situation would be for many people to be perfectly honest. But I did, um, I did end up looking up cremated on my break after I'd stopped crying because I was like, is it me or am I wrong? No, the definition is basically two ashes and I can confirm that she was wrong. But she stood by it. (laughs) Well, lesson learned. Mm -hmm. Um, So you didn't go into medicine. You finished your neuroscience degree. And then you went into science communication, a master's. So there must have been something during your undergraduate about communicating with other people around science and things that gave you that desire, did it? Well, kind of. Um, My friend uh, really wanted to join the newspaper actually, well, she wanted us to join the newspaper to learn how to um, write for um, the public rather than for an academic, because that was my final project. And we also kind of just wanted to learn to type faster because, you know, academia, you just kind of type to a certain deadline or your own deadline. Whereas with newspaper writing, you have to be punchier in your delivery and punchier in your timing. So I ended up just signing up to do that with her and just kind of really enjoyed writing. I, in my master's year, I ended up being the science editor, which was really fun. Um, And I ended up doing a few bits for the new scientist. And I did an internship at a place called Research Research, uh, which a lot of universities use. Um, So from that, from that just kind of fluke of going to a, a random meeting with her, I kind of found out that I really liked science communication in my third year. And that's when I applied for my master's because I was very aware that to get a job, I would need some sort of um, like reskilling almost um, to try and knock out the academia in my brain and yeah. be more uh, publicly facing. And Because that ability to communicate about anything, you know, uh and particularly you know complicated ideas and concepts but to do so quickly without pages and pages and pages of text simplify knowing when to simplify something so it can be understood easier but still being true to the science and to do it quickly is a real challenge i mean there's lots of things pulling you in different directions there there's your science brain going i've got to make sure this is correct there's your you know, connection with the public going, I've got to make this understandable. You've got your editor behind you going, I need it by four o'clock or something like that. How did, did you love that sort of dynamic environment? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I, it kind of felt a bit like a superpower almost um, to be able to write in a way that sort of they could both both parties could understand. I always, I always kind of explain science communication as science and news are two different languages. It's almost like they're speaking Mandarin and Norwegian, and you have to be able to uh, to translate it into a language that both of them understand and kind of agree on. Um, I do find it more frustrating working with scientists 
who don't quite understand the the nuance in <laughs> in in why there are science journalists compared to um, if scientists just did it like they're incredibly intelligent people it doesn't mean that they can write and obviously you've heard this bugbear before you're a professor but engineers and scientists capitalize everything and it's so annoying <laughs> and the double spacing I hate double spacing, <laughs> not in a news article. Oh dear, oh dear. I'm, I'm guilty on, on that one. I keep, I keep trying to stop myself. Um, but, you, but you did, you went, to, you went on and you did some, um, you know, you, you did science writing in, in the student newspaper, The Mancunian. You did freelance writing for The New Scientist. And there's an article online, you know, Satellites, iView reveals retreating glaciers in the Andes. So people can go read your writings. I, I went to have a look at that. And then you got a role as digital media and policy officer at SCI, the Society for Chemical Industry in London. So this became more than uh, just studying and learning. This became your role. As part of my master's, I focused on two streams of science communication. Um, so I, I did media and policy. Uh, policy is what I ended up doing my dissertation on in the end um, and I couldn't quite decide um, whether I wanted to do either and this role came up and it had both and I thought brilliant this is going to be my first graduate role it's a small organization and I can essentially learn which one I like more um, so it was really valuable for me and the, one of the reasons I, I left um, SCI was um, because it was more media focused. And I thought, you know what, I wanna give this policy thing a go um, because those were the bits that I, I really enjoyed. Uh, I loved the debate of policy. I loved, not the arguments, but I loved being able to get into the nitty gritty of an argument, even if it wasn't a technical argument like you would have in science and academia. Media is very glossy. Whereas policy, you have to have some research behind what you're saying, which is why I kind of geared towards that, because I still have that love of research and learning that media didn't, in the end, give me. Yes. I, I sometimes think that those sorts of policy discussions and the evidence that feeds into it is pretty scientific. I mean, it's not, it might not be tests you've done, it might be surveys you've done, but you're looking at data, you're trying to understand it, you're making arguments, you know, similar or parallel to sort of scientific arguments. And it's, you know, it's, there, there are real parallels there. So people who've got a science background, if they can let go of the technical detail, they can actually have a, you know, similar skills in the policy arena. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I will say um, I don't meet a lot of STEM graduates who end up going into policy. You'll find some in um, the government, but working at the NIA in kind of across public affairs policy role, there aren't a lot of um, people with STEM backgrounds. You know, there are more PPE and history and English. Um, why that is, I don't know. But I definitely would encourage anybody who was working towards a STEM degree to look at policy because it's really, 
I, I don't think you are limited by the fact that you've chosen a degree completely different to what, <laughs> what you want to end up in. That's what happened to me. Um, you can still make it work. And actually, it probably makes you more unique than anything. Mm. So tell me, how did the role at the NIA come up? Did you see it advertised? Did you apply for it? Did somebody have a word with you? Or how did that come about? No. Um, so I, I saw it on LinkedIn and I essentially just went, oh, brilliant. This is in um, sustainability, you know, love net zero, climate change is the, you know, the main issue of my generation. And I just thought, you know what, I'll go for it and sort of learn along the way. I knew I had the, the sort of core skills behind it, even if I didn't know content. Um, and I, I found out that the reason I was chosen for the job, and I was the only one that didn't have any any energy background whatsoever was because I'd done so much research in my interview that meant that I actually answered more questions correctly than anybody else who did have the experience. Wow. So preparation is always key, I think. Um, and also I do bake quite a bit and the person who interviewed me had a massive sweet tooth. So there was some bribery that went on, but no money was exchanged. <laughs> I was just thinking if you um, revising, you know, for, for, for this interview and wondering whether you had a coloured chart revision. Chart for this, ticking for this ticking job. off. Yeah. yeah, that was I me. Did, I did interview somebody for a job at Manchester once um, and they brought in their, I think it was the, their sixth form project from school, which is all about nuclear. And she'd gone back to that. And, and it was, you know, she'd always had this sort of interest in that area, which is why she'd done the sixth form project. And this was the opportunity years later, you know, to <laughs> use it. I just in a want someone way. to see it. I just want someone to see it. Such wasted work. <laughs> As if she still had it. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what happened to my six four. I can't even remember what it was, to be honest. <laughs> um, so, so you're now at the NIA, and and you've sort of you've gone quite a journey, really, haven't you? From thinking I'd like to be a doctor, not quite getting the grades, going into neuroscience, realizing that you didn't want to work with the public. Uh, going into science communication and then into policy, each each sort of step has added to um, to what you do, um, but still staying sort of true to who you are. So you're discovering who you are, and so it sounds as if you've got this internal motivation to develop and grow, and you're on that journey at the moment. But you also said that you've got an interest in climate change and making a contribution that's like a sort of external driver isn't it so you've got this internal driver to develop and you've got an external driver to make an impact um in the nia i guess at the moment you've got this opportunity that plays to both you're learning about policy and you're also influencing the external landscape and that hydrogen report i guess is a, is a really good example of that using your skills developing yourself and making that impact yeah, so that's that's why I love working in the role I am now is I, I get to do a bit of both. I've always wanted to be a, a, a philomath. Um, I do love learning. I saw a different description of it, which meant you were an expert in multiple things. I'd rather I'd rather say lover of learning more, more so. And I, I don't necessarily think that's just in terms of uh, topic areas. I think in terms of like growing your own 
um, personal self and your own professional self. Um, the best advice I would ever give to somebody is seek guidance and also uh, seek counsel. I think in whatever role you're in, you should have some sort of mentor, um, whether that's somebody a little bit older than you or whether it's somebody a lot older. Um, and you should always have a, a sort of confidant. Um, whether that's again somebody in your your uh, organization or not and they should be two separate people because um, one you can learn from and one you're kind of just ranting to um, <laughs> but again I I almost think that to be good at your job you shouldn't necessarily just be working to overachieve in terms of your responsibilities you should be working on the way you present yourself and your brand and um, what people think of you more than you should like oh my god I made this really great spreadsheet that's obviously great for somebody like me that loves a bit of color coding but ultimately you'll be recognized and remembered for being the best version of yourself and and that's what I kind of always go back to is how can I better what I'm doing um yeah and and it is that journey of development isn't it and it's it is a journey because by being stretched in different ways and taking up different opportunities you're not only learning but you're discovering about yourself as well um yeah you know, somebody once said that, you know, people, you want to find a role where you're sort of in your element that plays to your strengths and your passions as well. But also challenges you at the same time. I don't think that you should ever, if you're having an easy ride uh, and you are the sort of person that wants to do more and be more, then that's not the right role for you. Um, but in terms of that growth, you know, I'm, I'm, I get a lot of compliments on how confident I outwardly seem. I was so shy when I was younger. Like I remember at university, I'd give presentations and then I'd go be sick in the bathroom because I was so anxious to talk out loud. And one of the things I feel is like so necessary is to just go for it. Put yourself in uncomfortable situations and usually they're actually not as bad as you um, think they will be. And uh, as somebody who has you know, failed many times in my life and faced a lot of rejection, both personally and professionally, it's actually hearing the word no isn't as scary as you see, as you think it is. And the more you hear it, the less, and the more you use it, uh, the less worried you get about it. And, you know, if you embarrass yourself on a call or in front of a senior person, it really doesn't matter. I remember I, I was on like a board meeting just the other month and my boyfriend walked in and I didn't have my mic off and I went oh go on make me a brew then and it was super awkward. There's, there's this book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway about stepping outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Somebody else I talked to about this said they, they, they do what you, what you, you know what's the worst that could happen you know I might say something silly so what life goes on you know <laughs> we all say something silly from time to time. Like if you that. don't have an embarrassing story, then life's not really <laughs> worth talking about, is it? Everybody's done something stupid. Yeah. And I, I'm very open, I think. I, I don't think I'm much different at work than I am in my personal life um, because I just find it really difficult to filter myself. I do obviously think there are times for professionalism, but I always find it so much easier to get on with my job just being who I am at any sort of you know level that I'm talking to even with CEOs down to graduates I don't necessarily think I'm much different in terms of my demeanor and I think that's really important 
especially in our generation, I think there are more and more people that don't appreciate you kind of kissing up to them and pretending to be someone you're not probably isn't going to work in a sector, especially like nuclear, where everyone's quite friendly uh, and almost real, uh, I've found compared to another sector I've worked in, that you may as well just, you know, be who you are. Absolutely. Mm. It's hard work trying to be someone you're not. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just don't have the energy. (laughs) No. Oh, that's great. So look, I'm going to take you back to maybe that moment where you got your A-levels results and you got that B in biology and your heart sank a little bit. And I'm wondering if you could give yourself one piece of advice at that moment, what do you think it would be? Probably just get over it. Um, And I know that sounds really harsh, but I come from a family that is kind of very blase about, you know, any sort of underachievement you know you just get up and you go again it's we don't wallow I mean I do wallow I completely wallow but (laughs) I've been taught to try not to um especially in terms of uh, it's really hard when you're a teenager and you work so hard for those grades but I don't think I got I haven't been asked about my a-levels since I went to uni and then now I haven't been asked about my degree um, since I got my first graduate job and in my next role, whatever that will be, they won't care that I once did a hospitality role when I was 18, you know, these things are all in perspective and and I, I think that whilst you fall at one hurdle, it doesn't mean you're going to fall at the next, but if you don't pick yourself up, then, you know, that's when things go wrong but you have to remember that it's it's not the end of the world if if something goes wrong yeah there's always another way isn't there there's always another pathway for you I mean for me I completely flunked my degree well for me I flunked my degree I got a 2-2 and for somebody who was very high achieving in my family again I was absolutely devastated and I had health problems that I you know I couldn't have predicted and I couldn't have solved at the time it was part of the reason I had to do a science communication um final project because I actually didn't qualify in my second year um for for uh, working in labs which ended up to be a blessing really and once I was healthy again it was a lot better um but you know there are things that you can't control and yeah you may have that tutu on a on a piece of paper somewhere I keep it hidden it's a it's a dark it's a dark time it didn't happen Uh, (laughs) but ultimately it hasn't affected where I am today I know people who have got firsts and I think they're in less interesting jobs than me they're definitely getting paid less than me but I made up for it in the amount of experience that I did at uni. I've worked, I've worked since I was 13, you know, I, I think I had two jobs in my master's, um, in my master's year. I did two lots of work experience slash internships. I got a 2-1 in my master's and I was science editor of the Mancunian all in one year. So you kind of make up for it to the point where it doesn't, a grade doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, no, that you're absolutely right. That's really good. Georgina, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. It's been lovely to chat to you. Yeah, no problem. I hope someone finds it interesting. If you've enjoyed this podcast, 
To help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.